Alright, uh, very good morning everyone. It's good to be back as Pastor Colin has said, uh, back from Pastor's Retreat. And even though we were away for Pastor's Retreat, I believe our brother Louis uh, preached a wonderful sermon last week. Uh, really blessed. Uh, I mean, I didn't hear it live. I read his script and I can imagine in my head him preaching it live to me. I'm sure very, many of us were blessed by it uh, last week. Now this week, we press the rewind button a little bit. I know we don't really use rewind button nowadays, but we press the rewind button in the book of Joshua. We will examine what took place immediately after the crossing of River Jordan. So Joshua chapter 5, before the victories at Jericho, Ai, and Gibeon. So let me read the Bible text to us first before we pray. Joshua chapter 5. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. And so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah, Hararulot. And now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that, had come out, had, that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land He had solemnly promised their ancestors to give to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so He raised up sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Come, let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we ask once again that you send your Holy Spirit to illuminate your scriptures to us, reveal the treasures of your word. Above all, speak this truth deep into our spirit and our soul that we may truly know that we are your new born-again people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, what would you do if you were to arrive in an entirely new place for the very first time? Whether it's for work, studies, or you know, holidays. What would be one of the first few things that you would do? What's the first few things you would do or the first thing you would do when you get to a new place? I think in our day and age, probably the first few things we would do is to get a SIM card. Right? We will, or we try to activate our uh, Wi-Fi network, our connectivity, basically, mobile data, right? Switch on our phones, make sure we're connected somehow, either buying a new SIM card or make sure it's connected to that foreign uh, telco. And so that sense of connectivity is very important to us, right? Because it gives us a sense of security, that somehow we're connected, we're able to communicate with our loved ones back home, we're able to tell the whole world, or at least we think it's the whole world, on Instagram and Facebook that we have arrived in a new place. Uh, we want to get that mobile data so that we can use our GPS and then we can navigate our way around. So this sense of security for us is very important. This mobile data gives us a sense of security. And so it's, you know, it's always very scary, uh, very intimidating when we go to a new place and you don't have this sense of security. Not able to switch on your phone, not able to connect to the telco, cannot get a SIM card. We feel kind of lost. 
You know, when, whether we get stepped into a new territory or psychologically when we enter a new role, a new job, a new situation in life, we always feel a bit scared. And we always hope to have some sense of security whenever we start something new or we enter a new place. And that's probably how the Israelites felt too when they crossed over the river Jordan into the land of Canaan. They wanted some sense of security. But in the midst of this desire for security, listen to what God said instead. God said, make flint knives, that means knives made of stones, and circumcise the Israelites. I love how creative the Israelites were in naming that place. Gebit, Ha'arolot, literally means heel of four skins. <laughs> Very creative, huh? their naming of the place. Anyway, can you imagine what went through the mind of uh, the Israelites when God gave them this instruction? What they needed most was a sense of security, invisibility. Let's go and conquer the land. But instead, God told them, hang on, please be circumcised first. I'm not sure uh, how long it takes exactly. For, uh, they waited to be healed, so I had to do a search online. And one website re- uh, revealed that the recovery period from circumcision is two to three weeks for adults. So can you imagine... Two to three weeks of being weak and defenseless, powerless to defend themselves in foreign territory. How would you feel? Just when they needed security the most, they were told instead to be circumcised, rendering them even more vulnerable to attacks. And yet, Joshua and his people were able to obey the Lord. Such faith to believe in God, to trust God, that even in the vulnerable state, God will protect them. So both river crossing and this act of circumcision requires faith. Crossing the river left them vulnerable to the forces of nature. I think some of us have seen videos, for example, of tsunamis hitting the coastline. And we know, you know, the forces of nature can be really powerful and destructive. So crossing the river meant that they needed to exercise faith. Now, circumcision also meant that they had to exercise faith because it left them vulnerable to the enemies. What if all these enemies came and attacked them instead in this two to three week period? And yet, they believed God and they trusted Him and they obeyed and followed His instructions. And so throughout the book of Joshua, we see this recurring theme. Rest and victory can only come about through faith. Rest and victory can come about only through faith. Believing in what God says, obeying in whatever He commands. Faith that obeys even if it makes us feel very insecure, very vulnerable. But we still choose to believe and hold on to whatever God says. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, number one, that God exists, And number two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So this is faith. Faith, number one, means believing God exists. Do we have faith? Yes, we believe God exists. And secondly, do we believe that God actually rewards, not punish, but rewards those who earnestly seek him? That's the second dimension of faith. The whole chapter actually in Hebrews chapter 11 is known famously as the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. Why? Because they list out for us all the heroes and heroines of faith. But first, they define for us, verse 1, Now faith 
is confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, believing that God who is faithful will give us whatever He has promised and assurance, a calm assurance about what we do not yet see. And this is what the forefathers or the ancients were commended for. And then they give a list of examples. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, verse 7, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You can read the chapter for yourself. I've just given you a sample from this chapter. And in these few verses, we see the very nature of faith. Faith is believing God when we do not understand. Faith is believing God when we do not understand how. How did all of this visible creation come about from something invisible? How is it possible that God spoke and everything came into being? We do not fully understand how, but faith is believing God when we do not understand how. Faith is believing God when we do not understand why. Noah, if you read the story in Genesis, was asked to build an ark when he had never seen rain before. <laughs> for us, it's something we take for granted. But in Noah's days, he had never seen rain, he had never seen floods, and yet he was asked to build an ark. Why? But yet Noah obeyed. Faith is believing God when we do not understand where. Abraham never knew where he was headed. He just simply took that first step to obey God and subsequent steps to walk with God every step of the way until God brought him to the promised land. Faith is believing God when we do not understand when. Joseph did not know when his bones would be carried out of Egypt, but he knew that one day this will surely take place. Faith is believing God when we do not understand what. What will happen next? When Moses' parents left their baby in the river, a three-month-old baby, what was going through in their mind? They probably could not envision the future, but they knew that God would protect their baby because he was no ordinary child, and most importantly, they were not afraid to disobey the king's edict, which was to kill every newborn baby, newborn male baby. They may not understand what would happen, but they trusted God. Faith is believing God when we do not understand who. Who will be saved? Is it possible that Rahab the prostitute will be saved and become part of the ancestry of Jesus? Nobody will know that, but that's faith. And so over and over again, we see faith being put into action in the Bible. And here in our example, in Joshua chapter 5, we also see the Israelites choosing to put their faith in God even when they do not understand why. Why now? God, we are supposed to conquer the land. Why do you make us be vulnerable? They do not understand the timing. Why now? When? Why must we do it now? But one thing they understood, and that is to have faith in God. Because they knew that God was faithful in the past, God will be faithful in the present, and God will be faithful in the future. And so they trusted God when God asked them to be circumcised. 
the belief that the God who brought them through that river, that dangerous river, and somehow stopped that river, Jordan, would also protect them from these kings in the land of Canaan. Of course, they also I believe they had the faith to believe uh, in God to reveal the reason why they had to be circumcised at this particular juncture. And sure enough, God revealed the reason to Joshua. The moment they were healed from their circumcision wounds, God revealed the answer to Joshua, the reason why. And this is what God says, Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Reproach can also be translated as shame. So today, I have rolled away the shame of Egypt from you. And so this place has been called Gilgal to this day. Two reasons for this. One is explained in the Bible text itself. One reason why God wanted them to be circumcised was because the entire generation that were born in the wilderness were not circumcised. And for the Jews, circumcision is an act of the part of the covenant that God made with Abraham, that all of Abraham's descendants needed to be circumcised. And so since they were not circumcised, they had to be circumcised. But the question is, why? Why now? What does it have to do with the reproach or the shame of Egypt? In a while, I'll reveal the answer, but I need to explain a little bit here now on the Hebrew word play or the sound play. In verse 9, before I speak on the shame of Egypt, some Hebrew uh, basic words here. Galau means to roll away. Gala is to uncover. Gilgal means a stone circle. And Galgal means a wheel-shaped calyx of a dead thistle. Can you hear the similar sounds? Now here's the picture that God was trying to describe to us. As the Israelites were uncovered to be circumcised, gala, as they were gala, God galaus away, rolls away the shame of Egypt and the place is called Gilgal. It's all GL, GL, GL words right there. Uh, and if you know the Hebrew language, in the original manuscript, they did not have vowels. They only had consonants. And so when the consonants are, are remain the same, are given a different vowel, Gilgal, we can easily get Galgal, which points to this particular thing, a, a wheel-shaped calyx of a dead tissue. Basically something round. The idea is something round and rose. That's the whole idea behind this play of words here. So what does this stone circle Gilgal remind us of? I know some of us are thinking about the stone, Stonehenge in the is that, uh, Ireland parts of Europe and UK as well. But the stone circle actually, for us Christians, reminds us of the stone that was rolled away from Jesus' tomb, right? And what about this circle of dead thorns? What does it remind you of? The crown of thorns. Very good, right? So even in the Old Testament, in the very so-called uh, obscure passage, we already see how it points towards Jesus Christ. That true faith in Christ's death and resurrection, our shame is taken away. Our shame is rolled away. There is a lot of parallel between the Old Testament and New Testament, which I've been trying to teach us, so that we have some interest in the Old Testament. We don't just throw away the Old Testament. The Old Testament always points us towards Jesus, the New Testament, the New Covenant. The river Jordan, when they crossed that river Jordan, remember my sermon some weeks ago, it pointed towards baptism, water baptism. And here now, the circumcision of the flesh points towards the circumcision of the heart, 
That's why as New Testament believers, we don't undergo physical circumcision because that's old covenant. Everything is physical. But when we move to the New Testament, everything becomes spiritual. And so, but we still need this circumcision of the heart, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 says this, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And again, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So the Old Testament prophets clearly saw that it's impossible for them to obey the laws of God. So God needs to do a new work through His Holy Spirit to circumcise their hearts so that they can become the new people of God. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 this is what he says, the prophet says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Pointing to the days of Jesus, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. No longer just a physical law for them to obey, but inside of them I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so here in Joshua chapter 5, we really see a foreshadow of what God will do for us as believers. After we are baptized, and please sign up for the baptism membership class if you have not been baptized. It's a symbol for us of our faith in Jesus. Very important. Uh, and then after, the circum- after water baptism, it's the spirit baptism, the circumcision of the heart, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's how the Old and the New Testament are linked in this passage. But there is a lesson also from today's passage by itself. And that lesson is this. Before we face life's uncertainties, we better know our identities. Before we face life's uncertainties, we have to know our identities. And for the Israelites, before they fought their battles, they needed to know their titles, who they were as people of God. So what is this shame of Egypt? Now the question is, who were the Israelites when they were in Egypt? Slaves, that's right. They were slaves in Egypt. Slaves were nobodies, the lowest class in any society, having no rights, no possessions, no privileges. Zilch, nada, nothing at all. And so when God says he has rolled away the shame of Egypt, taken away the shame of Egypt, what is God saying? God is really saying, hey, today you are no longer slaves. You are my people. You are free. You have a new life. Wow. Can you believe it? That's why God asked them to be circumcised. Because God knows that before they face life's uncertainties, before they fight the battles of lives, they need to know their identities. You cannot go out, you know, step out of church thinking that you're still a slave to sin. How are you going to live a victorious Christian life? God, first of all, has taught us through the word today, we must know our identities as children of God, a people set free, forgiven, and we walk out of these doors with this new identity. Studies have repeatedly shown that children with a healthy sense of self-esteem perform better, are able to deal better with the challenges of life compared to those who lack self-esteem. 
Children who grow up in a secure and loving environment are far better placed to be overcomers in life. Why? Because of a secure identity. This identity is fundamental to the way we are able to approach life and overcome in life. And that's why, once again, before Israel fought their battles, God wanted to establish for them their identities. Rolling away the shame of Egypt means they are no longer slaves. They are free people. And in the same way, when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. The stone is rolled away. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we are now adopted, reinstated as the children of God, as the people of God. The Holy Communion ritual is a very powerful reminder of this new identity that we have. There's a portion that we proclaim to one another, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. I proclaim it to you, you proclaim it to us. And we together are the forgiven people of God. Never forget that. And then we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. We don't call God just God, but Abba Father, Papa God. It's a whole new way of relating with God. Why? Because we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are the forgiven people of God. We have a new life in Christ Jesus. We are set free. We are the children of God. This is why it's so important. Before we face life's uncertainties, we must know our identities. Before we fight life's battles, we must know our titles. And our title is the Prince and the Princess of God. Can we say that to each other? And mean it to each other. If you see a brother, you are a prince. If you see a sister, say you are a princess of God. Those of you at the heart, please do that too. You know, many of us uh, really always carry this sense of guilt and shame in our lives. That's because we have not properly understood what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. When we truly put our faith in Christ Jesus' death and resurrection, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are forgiven. We no longer carry about you know, this shame and guilt. We look down all the time. No, we look up because God has set us free. That's very important to remember. And so when we come to the communion table, when we meet God in that communion place where we hold the bread and the cup in our hands, we don't come to a God who is distant and angry with us. No, we come to a God who loves us as our Heavenly Father. And that's why the book of Hebrews says, let us boldly approach the throne of grace. For there we can find His grace and His mercy. We boldly come. We boldly come. I was just seeing my Twitter account the other day. I can't remember who said this. Only the child would dare to wake the parent up at 3 a.m. and expect the parent to you know, uh, meet their needs. Why? Because that's the child's mentality. I don't care if the parent is a president or a CEO of some company or even president of the United States of America. I'm the child. I'm going to wake you up at 3 o'clock. It doesn't matter to me. That's the child's mentality. And we must have this mentality when we come to God our Father. God doesn't just take care of the big businesses of the world. God is our Father. We can wake Him up anytime because He doesn't sleep. Okay, that's important to remember. Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, and with this I will close. Let me read these uh, three verses. 
On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate of some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And then the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now we know from the Bible that in the 40 years of the wilderness, God provided manna from heaven. This was the spiritual food given physically to the Israelites so that they will be able to survive in the wilderness. But the moment they crossed over, were circumcised as children of God now, freed. What does the Bible say? After they celebrated this Passover, the manna stopped. And here's the lesson. All of heaven's resources are provided for us as the children of God until the day we walk into God's promises. All of heaven's resources are available for us until the day we walk into the promises of God's word. And so, as children of God, we have every right to ask our Heavenly Father to provide that spiritual grace for us in life's situations and battles. If you are facing a battle right now, fighting a battle, remember this. Ask our Heavenly Father for that spiritual grace, whatever resources are needed to help us overcome. All of heaven's resources are available for us until the day we walk into victory. There is no excuse to live in sin, really. We are set free from sin. All of heaven's resources are given to us to walk into the freedom and victory that we deserve as children of God. So press on, push on. P-U-S-H, the acronym many of us know, pray until something happens. So we fight on, we press on, we push on because all of God's resources are available for us as children of God. The Holy Communion is essentially an upgraded form of the Passover meal. For the Jews, the Passover meal represents freedom from Egypt. And so it is very important for the Jews when they celebrate the Passover meal to recline at the table. Only those who are free are able to recline. Those who are slaves and servants don't get to eat in that position. For us, it's very uncomfortable, right, to try to recline and eat, right? But it's a symbol of freedom. And that's why when Jesus celebrated the Passover meal uh, with his disciples, they were all reclining at the table. It's a sign of freedom from slavery in Egypt. And for us as Christians, when we come to the Holy Communion table, we are set free too. It's a symbol of our freedom from sin. A symbol of our freedom from sin. So when we receive it, we receive it gratefully, remembering, yes, God, you have set me free. In addition, John Wesley, when he uh, talked about the Holy Communion, he called it an instituted means of grace, instituted by our Lord Jesus himself. A means of grace means a channel in which God's grace comes to us. And so every time we come to the Holy Communion table, really it's a time we come before our Heavenly Father. Not just a God whom we do not know, but our Heavenly Father. We ask for all the resources of heaven, the grace of God, to pull it down so-called into our lives so that we can arise and fight the battles in life. So as we come to the Communion table, remember we come in our new identities. We come not as slaves, but we come as princes and princesses, as children of God, to the feast that our Father provides for us.
We come as beloved children of God because in Christ Jesus, our shame is rolled away. In the past, we may be failures, liars, losers, scoundrels, nobodies. But when we come later on, we come with a new identity. I am a beloved child of God. I am a prince of God. I am the daughter, the princess of God. And come to you, Papa God, because you love me. Come, let us pray. God, we thank you that it is through Christ Jesus that we receive this new identity. It's not about whether we did our quiet time yesterday or the past month even. It is not about whether we deserve to come before you because none of us do. But Lord, in your great mercy and grace, you have provided for us in Christ Jesus a new identity. And so Lord, we come boldly by the faith that we have in Christ Jesus, his death and his resurrection as beloved children of God. We come, Papa God, to meet you at your table that you have provided for us. Give us that grace that we need to face life's uncertainties and to fight life's battles. Give us that grace afresh this day. Importantly, Lord, remind us over and over again that we are your beloved children, the new people of God, set free, no longer slaves to sin, but to walk in newness and holiness of life. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.